By the moon's eye only these, the greatest show in the galaxy. I'm Mike, and here with me, as always, to talk about the Empress of Mars is my Empress, my Queen, Emma Foster. How are you doing? Sup? Right. 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 Yeah, obviously, I haven't got another female to hear their opinion on this show, so it'd just be me. So, mm-hmm. um... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so, then... Um, yeah, so the Empress of Mars. I really like this, actually. I like this too, but I'm, I'm sort of like, it's exactly the Mark Gatiss episode I expected that we were going to get. If that's <laughs> if that's fair, um, I mean, obviously the guys got previous uh, for this series, and they've always been. I mean, I don't know what it is with his episodes. I feel like every time we've we've reviewed them, and every time I've sort of reviewed them when I was doing my blog before we did this show, mm-hmm. um, it, it almost feels like there's like. 70% of a good episode. Yeah. And then it just doesn't quite get over the hump. Mm. And I'm sort of, you know, sp- you know, spoiler alert for like, basically just this is the first two minutes of this show for our, uh, for our opinion, but or my opinion, but um, I sort of feel a little bit like we've sort of done it again with this one. Mm. I mean, again, that's no, that's no disrespect to the guy and, and all these things. I mean, you know, the, the love for it he has for the show and his his sort of uh, his cheerleading for it is to be commended. But um, his stories have always, uh, for me, just sort of good but not great. And and I feel like when when I sat down to watch this, I sort of almost felt like I knew what we'd be we'd be getting. Yeah. And a little bit, I feel like my my expectations were fulfilled mm-hmm. with this one. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Mark Gatiss's works on Doctor Who previously have always been a bit hit and miss, and they're always sort of... I don't know if by the numbers is being a bit too harsh, but when they're, when they're good, you can the best you can expect is just like a fun knockabout romp, and that's kind of what Empress of Mars is. It doesn't really sort of make you stop and think, and mm. indeed, it's, it's not as good as it could have been, but um, I think, to be honest, I think after the last two episodes this stands up a lot better just because it's a lot more enjoyable it's a lot more straightforward it's a lot more sort of old school Doctor Who really and I think you sort of oh yeah yeah and and, you know so with the experimental nature that the series has had thus far I think sometimes you just sort of need that you know yeah, exactly. You just need. I mean, it's a good, solid, dependable old Doctor Who episode. This one. Yeah. It really is. You know, it's your, it's your comfy slippers. It's your favourite t-shirt. It's the dinner that you cook right, and it's always nice. It's, it's kind of that one in, mm-hmm. in terms of Doctor Who. I mean, I think it's, I think it's probably significant that he didn't get his way a little bit because apparently he wanted this to be a Peladon story as well. Hmm. Which, for people who maybe don't know the classic show, there was the uh, uh, two serials that were set on this planet called Peladon. Mm. So we have the Curse of Peladon and the Monster of Peladon. Um, and it, they evolved the Ice Warriors in it because basically Peladon is sort of going to become part of this sort of galactic federation, which is sort of what we get the idea that the um, the Ice Warriors are about to... We see the dawn of them joining this yeah. thing um and it's uh, monster of peladon especially is sort of held in in not i'm not saying it's special esteem but in in terms of how it relates to british people especially especially recently with brexit mm-hmm. um it was kind of at the time taking an analogy it was basically an analogy for 
Britain entered in the common market. So basically back in the seventies when Monster was on. Mm-hmm. Um so it's it's always we talked a little bit about politics in Who and things like that last week actually. Yeah. So um I think I wonder what sort of stopped them sort of going whole hog and sitting on Peladon. Maybe thought it's just sort of too fanish um mm. or something like that. Um because um I mean obviously they do there is a little bit of sort of poking at British sensibility in this one. And I, yeah. I wonder if um yeah, just a little bit. Yeah. And um I wonder if they thought if they put it on Peladon for the for the people who knew who know about those stories already it would be too on the nose of people who don't know about Peladon or aren't classic fans, it's kind of meaningless. So mm-hmm. they didn't push that angle. Yeah, I think yeah, Peladon itself might have been like too deep of a cut, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um though it would have been interesting to see sort of if like sort of Curse and Monster was all about Britain joining the the common market or, or the EU as it later became. Yeah. I would be in it'd be sort of I don't know whether it'd be interesting or maybe it's like you say two on the nose if it had been about maybe it's like Earth trying to get out of <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, I, I was gonna say. I, I mean, it's it. Your mileage is gonna vary with how. I mean, I do wonder if they sort of said they could have gone way, mm-hmm. way overboard into or way into it. So I think I wonder if, like, say, putting it on Peladon kind of made them feel like they would have to sort of address this whole idea of being part of a big collective. Yeah. So yeah. So so to speak. Um, I think it's. I, I mean, I've got to talk a little bit about the actual Ice Warriors here, although this is. This is my beloved husband's massive bugbear with this. Mm. That why are they calling themselves Ice Warriors? Because he's always been of the opinion that they are Martians, mm. and it's other people that call them Ice Warriors. Uh, that's true. Yeah. So unless, don't... Unless, yeah. <laughs> unless they use it to distinguish themselves from the like other Martian species they have, because I mean, obviously, you've got yeah. Sutek knocking around on there, and you've got the water and the flood. And the flood yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, maybe this sort of like, it's like, well, shit, we're not the only Martians here. Fuck. Right. Now, um, oh, we'll just go with Ice Warriors. That's why everybody else calls us. So, you know, whatever. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Well, um, I suppose so. Yeah. So, I mean, but that's sort of the thing that he, he, he always brings up, um, you know, about the Sea Devils get, eventually turn around and calling themselves Sea Devils and things like that. So, um, yeah, it's uh, one of Chuck's bugbears. But yeah. um, I've got to say, I did quite enjoy where they went with these guys for this one. Mm. Because um, in Cold War, I remember when... I when, when we... I mean, we didn't review it on the show. Did we review Cold No. No. That was before we started. No, no, yes. no, way before we started. Yeah, but um, when I when Cold War was on, I remember we we have talked about it anyway, but that's why I'm mm-hmm. getting confused. But it's... Um, the, the sole ice warrior... Yes. that we had that, that we we i think we both in the position they were getting you know it's going to be so they're getting too cling on e yeah yeah that you know that basically shouting about honor and mm-hmm. you know this sort of warrior code type thing and um i think they're trying to kind of reframe it reframe them a little bit yeah because we had the empress sort of going down that road and that sort of thing um but when bill brings up the energy of they're more like vikings Mm. or what we imagine vikings to have been like mm-hmm. um that's sort of more what they're that was more what they were aiming for more what they're aiming for now yeah. i think which is fair which is fair yeah i mean unfortunately because klingons have have so occupied this warrior race base mm-hmm. 
it's so difficult to have any sort of rate any sort of race of uh, aliens like that and not automatically think of the Klingons yeah. if 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 you're a sci-fi nerd so um they tried to avoid it and i think largely they were quite successful um i think that i mean i did quite like the way that they now you, you sort of understand why they look the way they do and things like that that the doctors like you know that this is their armor but it's it's essentially a part of them you know it's mm-hmm. it's a it, everything sort of thing um yeah um yeah so what did you make of them having like a i mean when you see this and waking up from a hive you automatically again you go ball queen um <laughs> so i wonder wonder what you made of them having a, a an empress now um well i think it was interesting I mean, there, was, there was nothing previous to state that um they didn't have one because the the highest rank we've seen uh before that was an ice lord so you know it could be like a hierarchical system um i did quite like the actor who played uh the ice the ice empress um mm. pretty damn hammy but i think that's yes. all like pretty much fit the tone of the show <laughs> well you've got you've got to go big and you oh, really yeah. i mean there's no there's no two ways about it mm-hmm. um there's there's no way you can really just sort of go and turn up and be you know under all that gear and makeup and sort of turn in a, a timid performance mm-hmm. um but again it's sort of that whole thing of the sort of shouty warrior sort of thing that the the klingons do it's again as soon as you tell anybody you know they're a warrior race they just automatically go into that space mm-hmm. i think so but yeah i mean um it's it's interesting i thought it's obviously quite a nice idea to have um you know the uh the sort of sole female in charge thing yeah uh, but again, as well, they avoided the whole bald queen thing as well, which was quite useful. Because, mm. yeah. 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 I mean, I also did like the bit where sort of um, in their first like confrontation with the soldiers, uh, she sort of defers to Bill for her opinion. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> we have all these shouty males, what do you think? Um, I mean, they didn't really go very far with that whole premise, no. and it would have been interesting if they did. But I, I don't know what it is about this one. This one seems to feel like it was written before Series 10 came around. Yeah, I think you might be right there, actually, because I think the... There's obviously, Nardo is sidelined early. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have uh, the Bill and the Doctor stuff. I mean, although there is some good things about it, like the Bill's kind of uh, pop culture obsession <laughs> sort of coming up. Um, sort of the first time it's really come up since the pilot, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was I, I. I actually kind of almost forgotten about that until it uh, cropped up here. Yeah, that aspect of her character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've got to say, huge shout out to Bill for loving the Vikings. I as well absolutely love the Vikings. Odin. Um, Odin. Yeah, that's so good. <laughs> I remember because um, because uh, like my it's from my my nan mostly. We she used to love those big Hollywood sort of those yeah. epic films. Yes, yeah, so I, I yeah. You Ben Hur, Spartacus. You know, um, all your Ray Har- their Ray Harry House and stuff mm-hmm. and Vikings. Um, so yeah, I remember one of those things we used to watch, like me, my mum, and her. Yeah. And, Along with Spartacus, where the slave gets hung, one of the bits I was not allowed to watch, mm. I would have, they would cover my eyes up and not let me watch it, yeah. was the bit where someone get, the guys get thrown into the pit of wolves. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, so I just... <laughs> it's. It, I mean, although it's such a strange film to be nostalgic about for me, because obviously I'm only in my 30s, it came out long before I was born. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, and I got it on DVD and sat and watched it, just delighted all the way through, and Chuck was like, what is this rubbish? And I was like, <laughs> this is one of the greatest movies ever made, how dare you? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm the same with Twister. Um... Yeah, oh, no, he loves Twister. Is, yes. the, is it the cow? Is it the cow that you love? Um, no, I, I actually really like the cast. I oh, love, yeah, the I love cast the, are quite good, actually, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and like, especially Philip Seymour Hoffman, because it would be brilliant if, like, if you could go back in time to, like, young me, or yeah. coming out of the cinema, having seen Twister and going, you know, that bloke who played Dusty, he's going to win an Oscar someday, and you'd be like, fuck off. <laughs> Oh man, yeah, that's a good movie. It's yeah. one of those ones I watch it every so often and go, "Oh yeah, this is quite good, isn't it?" Yeah, and then forget about it for ages. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, so anyway, um... <laughs> we digress. Yes, but anyway, um, yeah, this whole idea of her being kind of viewing everything that they do through this prism of basically sci-fi movies, so she references Terminator and the Thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of thing they seem to have forgotten for nine episodes. So it's quite nice that they've brought it back. Yeah, I think it's good that um, they sort of keep it to like the most like popular movies, the ones that'll endure, so it doesn't sort of date the show. If you know yeah. what I mean, because I mean, like the Terminator and the thing is like pretty much very high up on the scale of best like science fiction movies going. So you know, and of course the Doctor reference is Frozen. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah that was good yes I, I quite like that i mean i'll do one i mean also it can be a bit kind of too cheesy if you keep doing that so it's fair enough mm. they kind of toned it down you know they kept it on the back burner a bit but yeah mm-hmm. I, I i sort of didn't realize that i missed that part of her character until she started doing it again yeah so it's, it's strange that it's, it seems to have taken this long for a companion to like drop these references doesn't it yeah well i mean it's it's sort of exactly you know i think you've hit it spot on when you're saying about it feels like it was written kind of before the series as you know if you've <laughs> ever read any of the any of the books that they do you know sort of the tie-in novels for these yeah. there's always there's always a, because they come out in waves of three there's always three that come out just as the series is starting mm. and they're written and often they're quite curiously you know the characters apart from the doctor and the one you know the people already know mm-hmm. like the companion is often sort of not quite what we get on the screen because the writer is just rewriting it from the character notes yeah you know like you know the the little spiel they all write about you know billy's this year's old she's from this part of the world you know this is her family this is what she's into these sort of mm. things that they give out to the people who write scripts so you know that everyone's sort of basically in the the same in the right, you know same ballpark and writing bill the same way consistently mm-hmm. um so usually the books are a little bit kind of you know sort of right but not quite yeah. and so you like you say perhaps it's more a case of margate is just writing this from the character notes mm-hmm. you know and this whole and he sort of picked up on that idea of bill being very pop culture savvy yeah and not kind of some of the other aspects of her character which mm-hmm. um I mean, but I think I do wonder if that's sort of a little bit actually more reflecting the script, kind of, because I saw on Twitter someone was sort of saying, sort of criticising the episode and saying that they they weren't sure why Bill was there either. In that, you know, where we have the Empress sort of saying, you know, female, I want to hear your opinion. It's sort of like character hasn't spoken for a while. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, that was interesting. Um, See, uh, uh, this is one of the things I kind of wonder about. It's like. 
was... I mean, obviously, Nardole gets sidelined because at the time this story was written, um, Matt Lucas certainly hadn't been, like, signed on to return. Um, so I, I kind of wonder, like, would this have been better served somehow if Bill had gotten stuck in the TARDIS? Because obviously she can't pilot it, but Nardole can, so it's a bit weird that he can't get her to behave, so he has to go to the vault. Um, yeah, and I'm sure we'll get I... on that. Yeah, because I thought, well, let's let's do it now, because I th- I thought that the TARDIS was ref- sort of, it was leaving and refusing to go back because there was some sort of time, pro- it's, a, it's a paradox there, that mm. the, the soldiers aren't supposed to be there and and that's why it never really she gets doesn't explained. want to go back. Exactly. That's, that's the thing, I mean, even like when the TARDIS does return at the end, Bill, uh, Nardal rather, doesn't say, oh, this is what happened or anything like that. But, you know, again, that's not the main, not, I say, problem of why the TARDIS is back, because obviously who's behind the controls. Um, but um, I wasn't expecting Michelle Gomez to show up in this at all. No, I wasn't. Um, I thought that was quite interesting because obviously that she's sort of obviously playing this long game with the Doctor also, we think. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, this whole this whole idea that she could, you know, she's been allowed out of the vault to pilot the TARDIS. Yeah. The Doctor certainly reacts like, holy shit, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, because of, you know, obvious implications that she, you know, go give her a TARDIS, she's going to run, she's going to do whatever. Yeah. Um, and doesn't. So I think that's partially what his reaction is. But there seems to be more of the react, more of the thing that she's out of the vault. Oh shit, she's out of the vault. That's a problem. Mm-hmm. And that's, it's, yeah. Yeah. And that's why I wonder whether it would have worked a bit better had it been Bill who yeah. got stuck in the TARDIS and obviously couldn't pilot and therefore had to go to Missy yeah. to get some help with the TARDIS. Um, because as, we, as we've as we seen previously, Nardole has some pretty good skill in piloting the TARDIS. So, yeah. I mean, I can understand like why he can't understand why she's acting up as such. Um and it, it kind of makes you wonder, like, obviously um, she had a bit of a moment in Pyramid at the End of the World after he got infected. Um, but she sort of like, does the same sort of sounds as she's re- refusing to head back. So I don't know whether it's like she's reacting to Nardole or whether, like you say, whether it's because she's uh, reacting to the paradox and the dematerialization from Pyramid of the End of the World was sort of her foreseeing that, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So It's, I think it's that, all a bit too nebulous, I think. It's not really it, sort of... That needed explanation for me. Yeah. I feel like we, we needed just a couple of lines in there to understand why exactly is the TARDIS throwing a huge wobbler about mm-hmm. being there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So... Yeah, that that's a, that was a little bit annoying to me that they didn't kind. Of, I mean, because you sort of think, oh well, that's as a watcher, you sort of go, oh well, that's why why it's why it's happening. But then when you know, and then the Doctor and Bill end up putting the God save the Queen in in rocks on the pole. Um, <laughs> so there's the whole thing, that whole predestination paradox of you're the one who does it anyway, sort of thing. Um, yeah, but you think so, she's, yeah, but you think she'd be all right with that though somehow. Yeah. Yeah, well, I don't if, know. Yeah. I mean, I, it needed it needed explanation. I yeah. think for me, I think it was really just like there because otherwise it would have been just been a simple case of the Doctor evacuates the Victorian soldiers into the TARDIS and then they start off. 
and then yeah. you know the ice warriors don't rise up and then they end up don't not being like joining the galactic coalition so yeah. maybe that's why the tardis took off because she thinks oh hang on this is what this happened so i've maybe got to try and make sure this gets seen through yeah or something yeah but then let's have a line about that do you know yeah, what i mean exactly oh no you're right you're absolutely right <laughs> yeah yeah, and I think that that's a perfectly plausible explanation that works rather well, you know, so it's great. Mm. Um, so now we've mentioned them, should we talk a little bit about our uh, our Victorian soldiers? Um, because <laughs> I feel like someone sat down in Mark Gatsby's script and said it can't all be Victorian slang, Mark. <laughs> yeah. It has to be, because if you've, if you've seen the Crimson Horror, mm-hmm. um, you know, all the sort of the Victorian kind of that era slang that's in there and all that sort of thing. Yeah. You know, the ma- maximum camp possible um, <laughs> that that episode is. Um, yeah. It's, uh, it, I, I feel like, you know, they let him have a few little bits and pieces, but nothing too major. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> like. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine a lot of viewers be going, what? <laughs> so I go onto the internet, try and look this stuff up. It's like, what, what does that mean? Hang on a sec. Go, rewind it, rewind it. Okay, right, there we go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I've, I was going to say, I feel like we could have been had a, a lot of a, ca- a more camp sort of mm. ultra ultra sort of um, retro sort of steampunk Victorian type thing. But uh, yeah, I feel like he was sort of... I feel like someone took a pass at that script and said, uh, mate, you need to tone it down a little yeah. bit yeah so um, I did, yeah so um i think this is a good juncture to discuss the the whole we're british thing <laughs> <laughs> i mean i did i did like the victorian soldiers i mean um uh i think it's, is it catchlove who's the the really sort of military catchlove is the guy who usurps the actual guy in charge who is Goldicker, I think. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, God, God Sorry, um, he's yeah. he's the one who got hung for cowardice. Well, didn't, but um, I mean, Catchlove. I mean, like like we often say, like there always should be like this sort of like still frame, and then a caption comes saying, "This guy's this guy's an asshole." <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, um. <laughs> yeah, but I'm. Um, in, in these sort of stories, there's kind of there's no time for your your human subtlety. They have to mm. kind of sometimes just for the sake of brevity, they kind of have to make one of them the obvious bastard, one of them, you know, suck this thing, you know. So, but I thought actually the Goldacre that that his character is actually quite interesting, quite nuanced. Yeah. Um, you know, because they could have made him like a righteous coward, so to speak. You know that he was given a terrible order and didn't carry it out, and that's mm-hmm. why he was hung. He says, "No, I just, you know, went got shot at and didn't like it and legged yeah. it." You know, so <laughs> as anyone might do. Um, so yeah, I, I thought that was quite quite an interesting nuance, and it was you know nice that he sort of decides to to chuck in with the Ice Warriors and get everything sorted out. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I think that um, quite a, quite an obvious thing that oh, well, not quite an obvious thing, but quite a nice thing that they did, and something that's uh, you know, especially relevant in this day and age of you know the kind of these arrogance of these guys going around going, <laughs> yeah. you what do you mean we don't belong here? We're British, of course we belong everywhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh yeah, it's still. We brought our tea set. We basically live here now. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have a flag? Yeah, and we've got a picture of the Queen, which yes. I thought was quite lovely as well. Yeah, Pauline Collins as the Queen yes. as well. I think it's the yeah. same. I think it's the same portrait actually from um, Tooth and Claw. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Of, uh, yeah, I think it must have been. Yeah, mm. but that that was a nice uh, that was a nice touch. But um, yeah, I mean. For anyone who's uh, checked out Emma's uh, twenty-four hour gaming marathon of uh, for Comic Relief, she played a game called Her Majesty's Spiffing. Spiffing, yeah. Yes, um, that's pretty much like the the main the player character is pretty much like all what the Victorian soldiers kind of are. Frank just, English, yes. Fr- frankly English, yes. <laughs> yes, frankly English, yes. Yeah, it just needed sort of an Alan Jones to go with him, really, didn't it, Boyle? Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, boyo. Yeah. Um, the danger of making that tea there, boyo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a great game, by the way. If you can mm. pick it up, um, it's it's not hard at all. It's a lovely like point and click adventure. Um, yeah, I hardly, I hardly, It's one of my favourite things I played when um, when I did my marathon, Her Majesty Spiffin. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's that whole idea of you know uh, the great British colonial forces go forth and bring civilization to mm-hmm. um, the great unwashed masses. Um, yeah, especially during this time. Um, this was when Victoria was Empress of India, yep. uh, things like that. So, I mean, the, the British Empire encompassed a quarter of the globe at one point. Yep. Um, it was the biggest empire ever. Mm-hmm. There I mean, hasn't was... been one of that size yet, still. Yeah, um, it was quite remarkable when they sort of like placed like the Victorian on timeline because they, when they offered tea, they sort of like Indian or Chinese. Chinese, yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so th- this whole idea that Britain is essentially the centre of the the world was, <laughs> yeah. you know, kind of not wrong, but for all kind of the wrong reasons. Um, I mean, obviously we're not. I mean, um, in the wake of um, of Brexit and things like that, mm-hmm. this whole idea. You know, if you've ever seen British people on holiday in a big group, yeah. this is a attitude which persists. Yeah. I was going to say, we still do think we are the centre of the universe, so, you know. Yes, why isn't... Everyone, everyone speaks our language. Mm-hmm. Everyone everyone is accustomed to our our way of proceeding about life. Yeah. I went to Spain, I couldn't believe it, didn't have British food. <laughs> Someone made me eat a paella. Yeah. You know, it's all these sort of things that, um, you know, still persist in, in this country. Um oh. I'm honestly surprised, like, the Victorian soldiers didn't, like, when they were dressing uh, Friday, their uh, ice warrior they've put along with them. And so they just go, tea! Yes. <laughs> I was probably not clonking him over the head and sort of getting him to do things, yeah. you know, yeah. So, yeah. Um, I, it, it was, so it was sort of poked fun at, quite rightly, mm-hmm. in this, um, especially as it's, it all comes out of the mouth of our bastard character. So yeah. it's... Um, yeah, but uh, I've got to give a quick shout out to the grimness of the Ice Warrior weapon. Yeah, that was um... <laughs> turned into a fucking bouncy ball. That was something else, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, I wasn't expecting that. I mean, um, I liked how this sort of the actual sort of, like impact of the weapons like made it look like like the old school sort of image reflected on a bit of wobbly metal. That yeah, Mirrorlon used... they used to call yeah, it. Mirrorlon, yeah, Mirrorlon, yes. Um, yeah. That's like effect, but I wasn't expecting them to, to be like compacted down into like a cube. It's like a yeah, one episode was... of um, one episode of Red Dwarf. I was like the start of the sixth series where um, 
Crichton gets forced into a, a trash compactor oh, yeah. <laughs> and spends the rest of the episode as a sort of cube with legs. Hey, could he stack, it makes for a handy disposal to stack them up like that wall of bodies in 300. Yeah. It's quite handy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was... Um, yeah, I wasn't expecting that. I was like, "Whoa, okay." I mean, it's, I mean, yeah, it's completely like gore, like bloodless, but it's still yeah. like, "Oh no, that no, that shouldn't happen." Oh, that's grim. Yeah, <laughs> but I thought it was quite interesting that the story kind of jumped ahead, sort of several steps, and more than you would think that it's um, it, it's not about these Victorians encountering an alien for the first time. It's basically, yeah, we found him. Yeah, we're on Mars, and we're pretty much over it. Mm-hmm. You know. <laughs> Yeah, and I thought that was that was an interesting kind of starting point for the episode because mm-hmm. the obvious thing to do is to you know that they would be like in Africa somewhere and they've just encountered him crashed. Yeah, and the doctor finds them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I did like the fact that they were already established on there, and yeah. I like I like the fact that you know they've gone there because you know. Friday sort of like promised them like wealth and all that sort of shit and you know being the good upstanding citizens of the British Empire they're like, well of course they're going to go there and uh, loot and you know claim the planet for in, a, in the name in of her majesty yeah yeah um but what I also did like was the fact that basically nothing much has happened and the morale's really sort of running low um, yeah, I do like the fact that, you know, they're in this incredible, you know, they've done this incredible thing, but we're all pretty much over it. Yeah, point. they're all rather yeah. fed up. And I have to say, their um, <laughs> spacesuits are amazing, especially when they've got like yeah, this sort I of like. Yeah, I love those. The, uh, the gramophone horn on the side of the helmet so they can hear. <laughs> yeah, oh, that was great. That's yeah, awesome. I really liked it. I yeah, love I thought that. that was really cool looking. Excellent and the gargantua, good. actually, as well. Yeah, yeah I, I quite like the look of. Yeah, as a, as um, a fan of like. Like the Godzilla series that was very reminiscent like the Mazer tanks they have in mm. it I, I, I was a really nice touch that I did like that yeah yeah I, I did I thought that was very cool um but on a side note possible RIP to the orange the iconic orange spacesuits yeah that was uh unusual mm. but I mean I did like the the new ones the TARDIS crew was sporting um mm. because I think I think there comes a point when you've got like the orange spacesuits. It's just like, oh, they're trotting them out again. So I think mm. the fact they went and got some ones from somewhere else, probably. Um, uh, yeah, just nicked them from somewhere. Yeah. Um, no, it, was, it was a different touch, but it was sort of like, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's because, like I said, I think it's just because they're sort of like now the default <laughs> spacesuits for Doctor Who. So it's kind of like. Yeah, they yeah. they kind of took their own. I don't know. It's those one of those things that I kind of always not look forward to seeing. But when when they turned up, you sort of hey, hey like that. You yeah, know, yeah. yeah. Things of these little continuing things in these mm. stories. When you notice them, and you you sort. I mean, you know, those the or, the orange spacesuits kind of took on their own life. Mm. Um, so yeah, the fact that they've kind of they seem to have maybe gone in the cupboard forever. I'm a little bit sad about. But I mean, I do like the the new design. Very slick looking, but um, yeah. Yeah, I did. I'd like. I kind of miss the orange ones. It, it would be sad if we never see them again. A little bit, but never mind. They might be just be down the dry cleaners or something. They might getting hosed off for yeah. whatever terrible things happen. <laughs> um, 
Um, one other quick shout out as well. Uh, obviously, it was nice to have Alpha Centauri back. Um, yes. Oh, bless. And it was the same voice, same lady. He's in Churchman. Yeah. Um, yeah, she's in. 92 she's like 92. Years young. Yeah. yeah. Bless her art. Blimey. So, yeah. Yeah, um, when um, Alpha Centauri started speaking, like, obviously, we didn't get the, the picture straight. It's like, oh, God, I know that voice. Where do I know that voice from? Yeah. And then. It's like, this is Alvis and Tori. Welcome to you. It's like, yes! I mean, yeah. the, I'm sure there'll be a lot of, like, old school Doctor Who fans who sort of like, punched the air at that point and then they were, like, yeah. surrounded by their friends and family just going, what? Yeah. It got a, it definitely got a yay from the, uh, from the Foster family sofa. Um, but, yeah, because when I heard the voice, I thought, oh, gosh, can it be? And But I was more surprised it was actually is in church, in church because I thought, you know, a lot of, you know, unfortunately, a lot of the actors from that it period of now passed away mm-hmm. um but yeah it's lovely that she's she's still here and still well enough to um to do a bit of voiceover work so yeah. yes it's lovely lovely stuff really nice touch i enjoyed that i mean the again yes. with um so like the kisses to the past i mean like the the scene where um the the ice empress like awakens the troops that was very sort of tomb of the cybermen as well the way all the yeah, lit I- up and had the the silhouettes yeah, I mean, actually, the whole story is not entirely no. un- non I mean, it's obviously in Tomb of the Cybermen, they're looking for the Cybermen. I mean, mm-hmm. these guys aren't here looking for the Ice Warriors. They're here looking yeah. for uh, stuff. But um, it's, yeah, it's not very dissimilar. I mm. mean, um, yeah, and this whole thing, when you don't have quite the iconic thing of them slicing their plastic sheet open with their hand and coming <laughs> out, because they've got little Lego man hands, haven't they, the Ice Warriors? Yeah. Um, which I thought was quite, you know, funny when Bill sort of holds Friday's hand and holds it up and he's got his little <laughs> his little Lego man hand just sort of snapping his little, you know, whatever. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's... Um, it, 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 yeah, it is incredibly, incredibly reminiscent and, I, you know, I can't believe that, um, it, you know, they weren't looking at that and going, oh, yeah. Yeah. Two of the side men straight up. So. <laughs> <laughs> nod, nod, wink, wink. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you wanted to mention about uh, Empress of Mars? Uh, no. Shall we? Uh, shall we move on to the scores then? Yes. Um, hmm. I think th- I. I'll go so far as go give this an eight. Actually, I mean, yeah, there's okay. a lot. Of, there's a lot of like questions and niggles, but on the whole, it's just a nice, fun romp. It was a nice little change of pace considering what we've had the last two episodes. And, you know, it's it's one of those ones, like, if it's, like, on, you go, yeah, I'll sit down and watch it. You know, it's not one of those ones where you just, like, go, ooh, I must watch such and such yes. again. Um, yeah. But for what it was, yeah, I just liked it. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's in- entirely... Um... You know, I feel kind of the same way about it. I'm sort of in more of a seven place, though. I mean, I said yeah. at the top of this episode that Mark Gay is kind of right 70% of a good episode, so I'm going to give it 70% of the score, which is seven. Um, it's, it's um, like you say, the niggles and stuff, it, it, it's kind of the the uh, the things that kind of took it down to a seven for me. I mean, it, hmm. was, a, it was an enjoyable episode, and like I say, it was solid, dependable who, and... Um, uh, but with Gattis, there's always this thing of it doesn't quite yeah. get over that that sort of thing. We want to sort of make it a really great episode. So hmm. it sort of goes in the pack with all of his other ones, really. Yeah. Um, I mean, like I say, it's right where about where Cold War is, mm-hmm. right where Sleep No More is. Yeah. Um, you know, Sleep No More, again, you know, a perfect example of an episode which has good bits and it's not great. It has flaws which stop it. 
mm-hmm. moving on to being something more than the sum of its parts, if you see what I mean. So, yeah, yeah that's, that's kind of where I am with it. That's fair. That's fair. Okay, so, feedback time. Okie dokie. Do you want to go first? Yeah, so, um, I think it took us a little bit of a while. I mean, we uh, recorded Lie of the Land pretty sharpish, didn't we? We um, did, yes. So, we didn't really get all any sort of like feedback at the time, but we did get a few bits. Um, first one I've got here is from Rick Tatro, a friend of the show and uh, host of Starbase 66. Uh, he says, The Lie of the Land, goodbye to a stink of a trilogy. Extremist was amazing. It set up something that could have been great, but the rest was just limp. Thanks for telling us about the behind-the-scenes reasons, so I'm not angry or worried, but I won't be revisiting this bunch anytime soon. On the upside, Lie of the Land was a tour de force for Pearl Mackie. She shone like never before, and her performance was worth enduring Pyramid. And Michelle Gomez deserves the Judy Dench making most out of the least screen time award. Please, Mr. Moffat, <laughs> let her out of the box. Well, yeah. she's out. I mean, whether she'll get put back into it is another question, but uh, she's definitely out well, for now. I've got, I've, I think that because of where we are in the series, obviously we just got... Um, Oh, what's the next bloody episode called? I can't. Eaters of Light. Eaters of Light. Mm. So I I suspect she's going to go back in the box for Eaters of Light and then we might see her for World Enough and Time Mm -hmm. um, where we're obviously building up to our climax. um, Yes. Is is what I think, but, you know, I'm I'm entirely probably going to be wrong. Um, So we've got, Again, a bit of feedback about Lie of the Land from a um, friend of the show, Tony Boydell, mm-hmm. who says, okay, I admit it, I really enjoyed Lie of the Land, and I've worked mm. out why. Yes, all the things I hated about Part 2 still stand, but Pearl Mackie is a revelation in this episode, awesome and brilliant. The quality of this third part only emphasises this would have been a superb boil-down two-parter. Mm. I think that's pretty much um, what we said, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, we we both liked Extremis much more than Tony did, if mm-hmm. if memory serves. So I'm I'm kind of not entirely sold on getting rid of Extremis. No. Um, but yeah, I, I as we sort of extensively said when we when we went through Lie of the Land and Pyramid, mm-hmm. um, it's it is a deeply flawed trilogy um, yeah. masquerading as an you know an excellent two part of masquerading as a, a deeply flawed trilogy. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we'll uh, we'll have to just leave it there. Otherwise, we'll go on down a big old hole about talking about like the land again. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I, you know, you're probably quite right in saying that. I feel like after that, really, um, having uh, the Empress of Bars was um, a breath of fresh air. Really, ultimately, wasn't it? Yeah. Okay, so if you have any thoughts about the Empress of Mars, you can send them to us at our regular email address, greatershowatsimplysyndicated.com, to our Twitter account at greatershowpod, and our Facebook page, facebook.com slash greatershowpodcast. Whilst you're listening to us, feel free to check out our sister shows on the network, Simply Syndicated Movie News, Atomic Trivia War 9000, Masters of None, Do Ask, Do Tell, Bat Channel 66, Here Goes Nothing, Tech It or Leave It, Seventh Chevron, Little Pot of Horrors, Ray Guns and Go-Go Boots, Nerd Hurdles, Making Sense with Richard Smith, The Greatest Events in Sporting History, For Those About to Rock, Dangerously Unprepared, and Starbase 66. As always, we welcome your support, and the best way you can help us out is by subscribing to Simply Everything. For a monthly fee of just £6, you can enjoy a library of podcasts from the archives of Simply Syndicated, as well as episodes of the exclusive to Simply Everything shows Shaken Not Stirred, then Remote Patrol spin-offs Oh Boy and Trust No One. Simply Syndicated also runs a merchandise store offering apparel and accessories to both Europe and America. You can also support the network through a monthly page on Patreon, or you can donate to the network through paypal.me, of which links to both are on the bottom of the website. So with that being said, thank you very much, Emma. Thank you, Mike. And until next time, take care and bye-bye.